We just want to lift your name higher. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, and we want to invite your presence into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Northridge. So glad. Isn't that the way to start a day? I mean, I'm just honestly like if we could do that before we go to work, right? I mean, that, that's, that'd be the way to do it. Um, but we're so glad to have you here. Um, for those of you who are here for the very first time, I know many of you are here for the very first time. Uh, we wanted to say a couple of things to you. One, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad to have you here. We really, we really mean that. We're so glad to have you here. Thankful that you took a risk to join us. Uh, take a day from you know thunderstorms or whatever's going to happen today, and just kind of check us out. So thank you for doing that. Welcome. Uh, the second thing that we want you to know, though, and this is really, really important to us, and that is that this is a safe place for you. Um, we say that because we know that, and because we want you to experience that. Um, this is a safe place for you. No matter where you're at with God, maybe you walked with God for a long time. Maybe you're just getting back into it. Maybe you just started a relationship with Jesus. Maybe, honestly, you're here, and I know we have many of people like this at Northridge. Maybe you're here, and you would say, I'm not even sure if I believe in God. I'm not even sure if I do, but I know there's something missing from my life. I want you to know, we want you to know, this is a safe place for you, no matter where you're at with that. And we invite you here. We want you here. And we invite you to ask questions of us, about God, about all those things. And so we're so glad uh, to be here today. Well, um, yesterday I was out playing with the kids. And uh, Laura and I were out there. We took a bike ride. And then we came back. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this, like, this, you know, when you see, like, a shadow and you know something's above you. And I saw this shadow. And it was just kind of moving kind of slow. And the kids, they all go, Dad, look at that huge butterfly. And I turned around, there's this huge butterfly, one of the biggest butterflies I've ever seen. I don't know my butterflies well enough, so I don't know what kind it was. Uh, but, you know, some of you would be like, I, that would have been obvious. But anyway, I'm sorry. I don't know what kind it was, but it's huge and it's beautiful. It's amazing. Well, the reason I bring that up is, do you guys remember learning about the, the metamorphosis, the process of, of where a butterfly comes from? You know what a butterfly looks like, right, to start? It looks like a worm. Basically, we call it a caterpillar, I know. It's just a fancy word for a worm, really. But it is a caterpillar, and, and there's an amazing process that the caterpillar is born, and then it goes into this, eventually, later on in its life, goes through this metamorphosis, goes into the cocoon, and then it literally transforms into something completely different, doesn't it? And you can kind of see the progression of that. It's just, it's an amazing, mind-blowing thing that God just made, created this creature that it goes from a caterpillar and then it met, has a metamorphosis and it transforms completely into something different, drastically and radically different than what it was before. Well, the reason I bring that up is today we continue our series called Strong. And, and what we're going to talk about with this series today, the topic is going to be talking about transformation. How, what happens when we come face to face, when we encounter the living God, when we encounter Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, when we encounter Jesus, there is a transformation that happens. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. And uh, how we're going to do that today is we're going, to, we're going to focus on a guy in the Bible who was literally transformed just as much, if not more, than a caterpillar to a butterfly kind of a thing. He was transformed from who he was to who he would become when he meets Jesus, when he encounters Jesus. And uh, this guy that we're going to talk about, many of you have probably heard of him. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Uh, he changed, and his change is so complete, his transformation is so complete, that he actually had to change his name. His name changes from Saul, with an S, to Paul. 
Now it rhymes, but it's a different name. And so he goes from Saul and he changes to completely a different kind of, not a different person, but he's transformed and he becomes Paul. So Saul, so today I just want to be clear. When I talk about Saul and Paul, I'm talking about the same guy. It's not that I've lost my mind and become, you know, something else where I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so when I say Saul and I say Paul, it's the same guy. Saul is before he encounters Jesus. Paul is his transformed name the name that he gets after he's encountered Jesus. And so we're going to focus on this story. So I want to set it up real quick. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. So if you like to follow along, you can turn to Acts chapter 9 in your Bible or on your phone. A lot of people like to follow along on their smartphone now. You have a Bible app and everything. We have to have an app for everything, don't we? I mean, that's just how we do it in this culture. Um, So you can do that. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And and here's kind of the story. So Jesus has, has died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And he is now gone to prepare a place for everyone everybody who will accept him. Okay. So that just so you know, kind of where in history we're at at this point, the disciples and other people, they have the task of sharing the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus to the entire world. And so that's what's happening. They're sharing the love of Christ with anybody they can find. And and let me just tell you, Christianity, people who are accepting Jesus is growing by leaps and by bounds. I mean, it's just they can't even keep up with all the people that are coming to Christ that are accepting Jesus. And so Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds. And I want just to make a, a quick side point here. And I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but I think it's important to keep in front of us. A lot of people in our culture today, in our modern day today, they think that Christianity, why, doesn't, why isn't Christianity growing by leaps and bounds? Why, isn't, why aren't people coming to Christ in droves like they used to, like in the New Testament? The, the answer to that is, it is. Christianity is exploding. You probably didn't, maybe you didn't know that, is the fastest growing faith around the world still to this day. The reason we don't think it is, is because in this country it's not. And so that's the filter we look through. We think that because Christianity is not growing by leaps and bounds here, it must not be happening. That would be really, really false because it is exploding in so many other parts of the world. And so that is what was going on in this time in the known world around where, uh, in, the, in the known world, which was literally the Middle East and parts of Europe and Greece and Italy and all that. The Roman Empire, essentially, it was expanding greatly and really rapidly. So what was happening is a lot of people didn't like that. And there's this guy named Saul. Saul did not like followers of Christ. He did not like Christians. Didn't want them. Didn't want him around, didn't like any, want anything to do with him. So Saul wants to do anything he can to stop followers of Christ from expanding or sharing the love of Jesus with anybody else. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Saul has gotten this, this, this passion to get rid of followers of Jesus. Okay? And so we're going to pick it up there. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 2 is going, to, is going to tell us a little bit about what Saul is thinking of doing. Saul was uttering threats with every breath which means he was doing everything he can to get rid of them and was eager to kill the Lord's followers or Christians. So he went to the high priest, the guy who can give him authority. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, again, Christians, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So basically what we know is Saul is, is headed on his way to Damascus. He has these letters from the high priest giving him authority to kill or to re- arrest any followers of Christ, anybody who believes in Jesus, and, and bring them to justice, 
Essentially, that's what he's doing. So he's on his way to this other city called Damascus. He's on the road, and that's where we're going to continue the story. So going to verse 3. As he, as Saul, was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. So, so basically what we have is Saul has had this dramatic encounter with Jesus. Right? This dramatic encounter with Jesus. And, and it really forces Saul to what it forces all of us to do. It forces us into a choice, into a huge decision, doesn't it? Saul can either accept Jesus, believe what he's just encountered, or he can say, I think I'm just going crazy. He can either believe in Jesus, or he can say, it must have been something I ate last night. Right. He has a decision to make. He has a choice of whether he's going to believe in this Jesus or if he's going to continue the path, his life that he wants to go. And so really what he's kind of left, he doesn't know what to do. And so God knows this. Right. God knows anything, everything. And so God is going to send a guy named Ananias. He's already a follower of Christ. This guy accepted Jesus a while before this. And God is going to send Ananias to the house where Saul is staying. And again, he's blind. He's not eating or drinking because he's, he's probably pretty upset about this whole deal. And so he's there and Ananias shows up. And, he, and we're going to pick up the story there where Ananias shows up to tell Saul about Jesus. Because God knows Saul needs to learn about Jesus, a little bit more about me. And so I'm going to send this guy, Ananias, to kind of tell him what what I'm all about, that I died on the cross for his sins and that his sins can be forgiven. And that if he accepts me, then he can be saved from his sins. So he sends Ananias. So let's go to verse 17. So Ananias, this other follower of Christ, went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just another way of saying so that you can accept Jesus, so you know what it is to follow Christ. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So this is a pretty amazing turn of events in three days for Saul, isn't it? Saul was on his way to persecute the Christians, to to either kill them or arrest them. And now he has had an encounter with Jesus. And and, and Ananias has shared what what it means for him to give his life over to Jesus. And Saul, we know, does this. We know this for a lot of reasons. One reason is we know that he got up and he immediately got baptized. You didn't get baptized unless you were a follower of Christ. Okay? You understand? You accept Jesus... And then they would baptize you. Now, again, for us here, we don't typically do it like boom, boom, just like that. You know, we accept Christ and be like, okay, let's find some water. Let's get this done. Right? It doesn't necessarily happen that way. Those of you who have accepted, many of you have accepted Christ here at Northridge, you know we don't dunk you right away. All right? We don't like take you out back in the Six Mile Creek and say, let's do this. Right? Throw them in. You know? We, we don't do that. We don't do that. But in, in this day, 
here, they, this is where they had community pools, they had water. They, this was a dry desert climate, but they also, that means that they had water everywhere because it was necessary, it was critical that they had this. And so you could get baptized just like that. You accept Christ and then you get baptized to show everybody, I am a follower of Jesus. So Saul accepts Christ. And it's an amazing transformation. But what happens is the direction of his life dramatically changes. Saul, I explain it this way. You guys have heard me explain this. He was going this way in his life, and now Saul couldn't be more different. He has now been transformed, and he's going this way. He was trying to persecute anybody who loved Jesus, and now he's instead running toward Jesus. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's a complete change. He's completely transformed. And this brings up the first question I want to ask all of you. The direction of Saul's life changed, but the question that I have for you is this. Have you changed the direction of your life? Notice I didn't ask, have you attended church a lot in your life? It's not the question. Have you, uh, you know, memorized the Ten Commandments? It's not the question. Have you allowed God Jesus, the Savior of the world, to change the direction of your life? That's a very different question. And this is where Saul was at. There was a lot on the line for him. There's a lot on the line for him, but he was transformed. And the direction of his life changed completely from this point on. But here's the thing. Once we accept Jesus, that is just the start, isn't it? Some of you who have accepted Christ, you realize that now. You're like, whoa, that was just the beginning of God starting to do some stuff. Yes, it is. Once you accept Jesus, that's kind of the turning point. That's the tipping point. That's where you, you stop going this way and you start going this way. It is where you are transformed, literally transformed in who you are and the direction and the focus of your life. And so the transformation happens, but that is just the start. That is just the, the tip of the iceberg. You have no idea what God is ready to do then at that point. There's so much more that has to happen. And so what happens with Saul is he accepts, he's transformed, but there's still a lot of work to do. All right? There's a lot of work to do. And so now at this point, Saul becomes Paul. Right? So, so Saul switches from being the guy who was persecuting Christians and becomes the guy who is now trying to lead people to Christ. And there's a couple of big changes that, that have to happen. One, the biggest probably change of all is this. Saul stops persecuting Christians and he becomes one. That's a pretty dramatic change, isn't it? Okay, I'm trying to kill them. Now I am one of them. <laughs> that, it doesn't get much bigger than that as far as a transformation. That's a big one. But there's a second big transformation that has to occur in Paul's life. Paul has to give up virtually everything that he's ever known and been taught and been said is important. He's had to change everything that he knew as a priority in his life. Not everything, but just about everything. Okay? He had to change. He had to shift from where he was and what he did and what he thought was important to doing some completely different set of things. Let me, let me explain how this works. I want to fast forward to the end of the book of Acts. Okay, so really the book of Acts details what happens early on in Christianity. And it talks a lot about what Paul does. And really all the chapters in between chapter 9 and chapter 22, which is where we're going to jump to, 
Basically, all you need to know, Paul advances the kingdom of God. He does more to share the love of Jesus with more people than just about anybody in history. And he plants more churches than we could ever imagine in the span of just a few years. And so we fast forward to chapter 22. Paul is now toward the end of his life. He comes back to the city of Jerusalem, again, still telling anybody who will listen about the love of Jesus and how he was transformed. Well, the people in Jerusalem, they don't like him. They hate him. He has become the guy that they want to persecute. Do you see how this has come full circle? Okay. He is the follower of Christ now, and they're the ones, they are the ones that are going after him. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. And they start doing this. A mob forms, and they try to kill Paul. And so the authorities, they are there, and they save Paul by arresting him. <laughs> they arrest Paul so that they can save him from the mob. And just before they take him in so that he can be tried before a judge... Paul says, hey, can, I, can you let me talk to the mob? Paul says, I would like to talk to all the people that want to kill me. Would you let me do that before you take me inside? And so I want to pick up the story there. Paul is about to address the people and he wants to tell them. He said, let them know who he is and who he has become with Christ at the center of his life. And so I want to read this because it's pretty amazing. It tells you where Paul has come from and where he's gone to. So Acts chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. Then Paul said, again, he's addressing a crowd of people. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a minute. I know there's more words. Okay, He's name dropping here. You know when you name drop? Because you want people to know that you know somebody, right? Because you know they know them and you know they'll be impressed by that. Okay, He's not so much looking to be like, look at me, I'm awesome. He's dropping the name because he wants them to know and say, hey, I was trained just like you guys. I was zealous in all of the Jewish traditions, all the different things. I was just like you. I was trained. When, when, when he drops the name Gamaliel, everybody knows that guy. This is the guy that trained, if you wanted to be trained, really trained in the traditions and the laws uh, of, the, of their culture and their religion. This was one of the guys that you trained under. And so people are like, whoa, you were a student of Gamaliel? That's like serious status. And Paul says, yeah, I was. I was his student. Now it goes on. He says, as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous Basically passionate, is what he's saying, to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, Christians, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify to this. Notice he drops some more names, not specifically, but says, let's talk to the council. Ask them. I was doing this. That this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus. Remember, we read that part earlier. Authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be uh, punished. So why do I read that? The reason I read this is because not only was Paul transformed in who he was, he also was transformed in that he had to give up everything he knew in life and had been taught was right. Isn't that what he just said here? He just said, I was trained. I'm just like you guys. I grew up learning everything you learned. But then I encountered Jesus and I realized that there was a different way to live life. A life that was centered, that was given completely to Jesus. Surrendered to him. And this brings up another important question. 
Because once you accept Jesus, that's just the beginning. It begs the next question, which is really, really important. And it is this. Are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do? Like Paul. He gave up every way of life that, he, that you could imagine. And that's because God wanted him to reach so many people for Christ. In fact, because of Paul, that was the biggest reason probably why the, the kingdom of God, Christianity, advanced as much as it did. It was because of one guy. Were the disciples involved? Peter, all those guys? Absolutely. But Paul is the one that carried it to the far reaches of the earth at that time. So are you willing to do what God asked you to do? Now, just to get practical here for a minute, what does that mean for you? Because this is Paul. This was like 2,000 years ago. You're like, well, good. That was 2,000 years ago. So how does this work now? Well, let me toss out some possibilities. What this might mean is if you've accepted Christ, it might mean that you have to give up some family traditions that, it, that your family values but contradict God pretty drastically. You guys know what I'm talking about. There are some family traditions that smack in the face of God and, and what He wants you to do. And you know that you, it's, not, it's not about smacking your own family in the face. It's not that you offend them. It's simply that you are going to be loyal to, to Jesus. That might be what it means to be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. For some of you in here, you're not going to like this. This is going to be scary. For some of you, it might mean that God asks you to make a career change. He might ask you to make a career change. Remember, I did not start out to be a pastor. So I'm one of those. <laughs> I was a school teacher. I taught in public school, coached soccer, did all that stuff. I still coach soccer. <laughs> but God called me out of that and into a completely different focus on a daily basis. The honest truth is, I believe, I have very little doubt that in here, God is going to ask some of you to change your career. And it's going to be because he wants to use you in a specific way in a different career. It might be a pastor. It might not. I don't know. Uh, this, the pastor that I served under in North Dakota, I was an assistant pastor before I moved here. Uh, his name was Steve. His name is Steve. And um, Steve actually was a 3M engineer before he became a pastor. In fact, he was a very successful 3M engineer. This guy, I would talk to him and I'd be like, I don't even know what you're saying. Don't even know what you're saying. I really don't. He'd, he'd explain to me like what his job was or, you know, what he was, you know, what he would do. He was in the medical division of 3M. And so what the uh, doctors and, and, and medical staff, they would come to 3M and they would say, okay, we need a patient. We need to be able to do this, 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 and this. And we need a machine or we need some technology to do that. And then they would give it to 3M and 3M would have to figure out how to do that, how to create a machine to do that. Steve was one of those guys that came up with that stuff really? He made really good money. His career was fast forward ahead. And then God said, I want you to be a pastor. I, I'd love to be the fly on the wall when, you know, Steve's face when, when that came down, right? And Steve actually shared many times at our church back in North Dakota, shared many times how hard that was for him to give up a career that he knew was set. And God said, but I need you to be a pastor. And I can tell you, the it's amazing the blessing that God has poured out through Steve because he was answered that call. For some of us in here, he's going to call. I, I have little doubt about this. I believe he's going to call some people from Northridge to be pastors. 
Some of you are saying, stop saying that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, I'm pretty sure. For some of us, he might call you to be a missionary to another culture, another country. He's going he's to call some of you to do that. He's going to. What's going to be your answer? See, the, the, this gets real when it comes down to the, you know, the, the, this stuff. For some of us, maybe being willing to do what God wants us to do is very simple. Maybe it's simply giving up a habit or a set of habits that we have that we know we should have gotten rid of a long time ago and, and being willing to do whatever God wants us to do when God prompts you to say, you need to be done with that. You need to be done. It's killing you. It's destroying you. It's destroying your family. It's destroying whatever. You need to be done with it. Get rid of it. When God asks you to do that, what are you going to do? This is what it comes down to, doesn't it? When we start calling it these kinds of things, this is just kind of how it goes. And so, so the, the question is, are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do? Many of you have maybe heard of the story uh, or heard of the name Jim Elliott. Some of you have heard of Jim Elliott and his story. Uh, Jim Elliott was a, a follower of Christ and uh, uh, followed Jesus and, and was a Christian, and he was a, a powerful, strong Christian, believed in God, loved Jesus. And uh, one day he, well, over a series of time, actually, he was really felt prompted. He really felt God was calling him to leave the United States, to leave his country, and to move to another country and reach a people group, a tribe, uh, in another part of the world that had never heard the name Jesus and never even heard the name Jesus, let alone did they know anything about the Bible or God or salvation or the cross or anything of like that. They didn't, they had never even heard the name Jesus. And so he felt God was calling him to go do this. And uh, the name of this group was the Wadani. The, it was called, they were called the Wadani people or the Wadani tribe. And where they lived was deep in the jungles of Ecuador. Okay, the country of Ecuador. And, uh, and, and so he felt, so he gathered a bunch of people. They started praying and, and saying, you know, God, what do you want us to do? How are we going to do this? And so they decided that they needed to move, first of all, move to Ecuador, start learning the Wadani language, all that kind of stuff. And there were, there were several barriers for them to reach this people. I mean, these people, this tribe was basically, not completely, but basically cut off from the outside world. They had virtually no contact with the outside world. This was in the 1950s, Okay. So this kind of gives you an idea of the historical timeline. Okay, in the 1950s, so they moved to Ecuador, and, and there were several barriers for them to reach this tribe. One barrier was where they lived. They lived deep, deep, deep in the jungle to where it was hard just to get there. It was almost impossible for most people on the planet to get to where the Wadani lived. They lived really in this village and, and kind of scattered around this whole area in, this, in the jungle. And it was hard for them to get there. So that was the first barrier. The second barrier was their language. The Wadani speak a language, to this day anyway, and still speak this language, that is really only local to their tribe. So it's not like, you know... English or Chinese or something that we've heard of and kind of is attached to other languages. It was a language that was all kind of their own, if that makes sense. And so it was going to be very difficult even to find people who knew the Wadani language. So that was another barrier. But then there was a third barrier, and this was probably the biggest barrier. The Wadani people were extremely violent, massively violent. There were two things that kind of characterized the Wadani, and everybody knew that, especially in Ecuador. And the two things were, one, they believed in revenge. 
They, they, they acted on and lived out revenge as much as they could. And one of the things that they accepted was they accepted homicide as, a, as an okay way to take revenge on your own family, your own tribe, didn't matter who it was. And so they would commit homicide constantly. In fact, their tribe was only a few hundred people because they literally were killing each other off. And so this is, that's how violent they were. But then there's a second thing. They also protected their territory, their region, very fiercely. And so anybody that ended up venturing into this Wadani area, they were, ended up being killed. And they, all these guys had were spears, like eight-foot-long spears. Okay? So imagine a spear that's eight foot long. That's, those were their weapons. And so these guys, they, they would go through and, and, and they would get in there. An oil company even tried to establish a base there because there's oil there. And they had to abandon it because the Wadani chased them off, killed several of the workers. Okay? So this is their challenge. So they come up with an idea. They come up with a plan. They decide they're going to take a plane. They find a pilot named Nate Saint. And, uh, and he's going to fly, he can fly this plane, and they drop a bucket down, and they start giving gifts to the Wadani. And they, send, they put uh, uh, Wadani phrases in the bucket with the gifts to kind of let them know, hey, we are here, we want to be friends with you, we want to you know, share the love of Jesus with you, we, we, just, we want you to know that we're not enemies. <laughs> they just, you know, that's kind of first order of business. We just want you to know we're not a threat to you. And so they start exchanging gifts. And actually the Wadani would actually start to kind of figure this out. And so they would actually put gifts in the bucket and send gifts back up to the guys. And so there were, there were basically five main guys that were involved in the, in the mission at this time. So they'd fly for several weeks. They would fly and they would exchange gifts back and forth, back and forth with uh, Wadani phrases. And they would kind of communicate that way. Well, after a few weeks in, uh, the five men, they decided that it was time to, to land and, and get down there and get on the ground and actually meet them face to face. And so they did that. And they camped out for three days, I think it was, three days, uh, until they finally made face-to-face contact, uh, contact. And two women and one man from the Wadani tribe, just two women and one man, came out of the jungle. And they, they actually sat down and they ate together. They had a, they had a meal together. And uh, they, you know, communicated as best they could, the, the five missionaries, that all they knew were a few phrases, Wadani phrases. So they talked as much as they possibly could, and they started to establish this relationship. Well, they waited another several days because they thought, okay, go ahead, bring some more from your tribe back. Well, the next time the tribe came back, they came armed with spears, and they ended up killing all five guys. Speared them. Now, in the 1950s, it took a little bit longer for the, the story to get around the world, but obviously, as you might guess, kind of like you guys, it shocked the world because these guys were there just trying, trying to be friends, trying to make friends with these people, and, and the Wadani killed them. But that is not the most shocking part of this story. What's really amazing about this story is this. After those five men were murdered, fast forward two years, okay, just two years, so not that long. Two years later... Jim Elliott's wife, her name is Elizabeth, and Nate Saint, who is the pilot who was also murdered, his sister, whose name is Rachel, Elizabeth and Rachel were invited by the Wadani to go and live in the village in Ecuador with them. They agreed to go. They ended up living there for several years. And you know what happened? Many, many, many of the Wadani began to believe in Jesus and accepted Christ and became Christians. Now, that was in the 1950s, and that happened just right away. From there, it has sparked, and throughout the Wadani tribe, not everybody, but a lot of them have now become followers of Christ. And it, what's really cool, there's, there, there's two really cool things about this. 
the tribe has now grown from just a few hundred people in the 1950s to, they, they don't know the exact number, but maybe close to 2,000 people now. You know why? Because they have given up their revenge and violent ways because they realize that grace and forgiveness of Jesus is how they need to live. Isn't that amazing? So they, we've literally saved more of their family and culture as a result of coming to Christ. But then this is the second thing that's really cool. Uh, over the last several decades, the, one of the members of the tribe, the Wadani tribe, one of the, one of the guys that actually used his spear and actually killed a couple of the men, actually killed the pilot. He's the one that actually murdered the pilot and a couple other guys. The, guys, the pilot's son, his name is Steve, he has been traveling around for the last couple of decades with this Wadani tribe member, I can't remember his name, who murdered his father. And they talk about the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus to anybody who will listen. Did you catch that? He travels around with this tribe member who killed his dad. And he talks about the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. They've become friends. If that doesn't tell you the power of God, the power of Jesus in a person, I don't know what can. And so the question for all of you here is, God is most likely not going to call any of us here to the Wadani people. Although, to be honest, it's possible. If God does, you need to listen. But, Most of it is probably not the case. But for all of us, I want to be very clear this morning. Every one of us, every single one of you in here has a Wadani tribe that God is calling you to. Every one of us in here. It doesn't happen to be the Wadani people. It happens to be your family. It's your neighborhood. It's your school. Wherever you go to school, wherever you teach in, wherever you're a student at. It's your community. No matter where you're at, did you know that there's no accident while you're there? You are there to reach the people with the love of Christ. Every one of us has a Wadani tribe. Every one of us. See, here's how this works. God transforms us. Jesus transforms us so that we can then transform others. It would be very selfish of us to have the joy and freedom and happiness and incredible um, grace that we receive from Jesus and say, I'm going to keep it for myself. And that's not what God intends. He intends for us to share it with the world, with the people around us as much as we possibly can. Just like Paul, just like Jim Elliot, just like any of them. But then it begs the question and comes back to it, the one that I asked you just a few moments ago. Are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do? He is knocking. He is calling. So for all of us in here, it's one of two choices for us. The first one, if you've never accepted Jesus, you've never accepted Christ, never given your life to him you've heard about him you've been to church before but you've never given your life over to him you've never made that choice and commitment to follow him then today is a day that you can do that give your life to jesus that's the first step so if you're here and you have given your life to jesus then the next step is you need to ask yourself am i willing to 
to do whatever God asks me to do? Am I willing to do whatever God asks me to do? Because God is asking, we just need to answer. And not answering, by the way, is an answer. Isn't it? We all know that is. It's the same answer that our kids give us when we tell them to clean their room and they don't do it. It's the same answer. (laughs) It's still a no. It's just a more subtle version and more frustrating version of it. So are you willing to do what God wants you to do? Whatever that is. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling us beyond ourselves. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for um, transforming us. For anyone in here, God, uh, just uh, I feel like I need to pause here for a minute. I know this was not necessarily how we were maybe planning on ending, but God, you know that. (laughs) But I feel like just if there's anybody in here who has never accepted Jesus, maybe they've been to church for a long time, maybe they've heard of you, maybe they've kind of thought they believed in you, but they've never drawn the line in the sand. They've never taken that jump. They've never taken that leap. They've never allowed you to transform them. They've never believed in you that you died on the cross and they've never, never accepted you. I pray that they would accept you today. Pray that they would just, just tell you, God, I be- Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, take my sins away. Forgive me. And from now on, Jesus, I'm all in. I, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian and I'm giving my life to you. And I will do whatever you ask, even though it's scary. I will do whatever you ask. God, if there's anybody in here, I pray that they would pray that prayer, that they would ask you and they accept you and they become a follower of Christ today. And then for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would just um, help us to answer the question, are we willing to do whatever you want us to do? Because you're asking, but we need to, we need to answer. I get excited about what you can do. When you have people that are willing to say, yes, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Even if it's to become a pastor, God, (laughs) or be a missionary, or to change your career, or to to talk to that neighbor that we know we've been wanting to talk to for three years. Whatever it is, God, help us to do what you want us to do. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.